The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. If you find yourself wandering through the streets of Florence, Italy, you're sure to find yourself eventually in the Piazza della Signoria, which is this amazing collection of Italian sculptures, or uh, mostly actually replicas. But as you walk through, you see all sorts of figures that were influential, important characters in Italian and Western history and world history. Uh, But really the crown jewel of this collection of sculptures is Michelangelo's David. Uh, Now, as you might guess, the actual real deal is not there in this outdoor plaza that is lit up by the night lights of Florence and with the buzz of street vendors and tourists. The real David statue uh, made by Michelangelo is in the Galleria dell'Accademia in uh, Florence. The, The David statue is incredibly impressive. If you've ever seen it, it's, I mean, it's humongous. All the features, his, uh, his hands, his legs, his body is built in a strong and manly and yet not overly oppressive kind of fashion. And you just, when you look at it, it's actually, it's a genuine sight to behold. Is that the true story? I mean, that, that's the story being told, of course. When Michelangelo made the David statue, he's telling the story of someone strong and admirable and all sorts of things like that. But is that the actual story? Of King David. Truth is, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, In the Bible story, David was really a nobody. He grew up in a nothing kind of town. Now, there were big, strong, impressive people around him. The king of Israel in the beginning of uh, 1 Samuel, the first king of Israel, we should say, was a man named King Saul from the the tribe of Benjamin. Saul is said to have been uh, head and shoulders above everyone else, strong, handsome. Somebody that people would have looked at and said, now that's a king. That's somebody we can follow. That's somebody who will fulfill God's purpose for his people. That's who we want as our guy. But Saul was rejected by God, so much so that his dynasty would only last for his own life. No one after him would rule on his throne. The reason for that is is explained in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and in verse 17. We'll get all the particulars of the story when, when Saul lost his kingship. But in this instance, whenever the prophet Samuel met Saul and told him of this heartbreaking uh, development for, for Saul, uh, the text says in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 17, Samuel continued, Although you once were small in your own eyes, or although you once considered yourself unimportant, have you not become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you over Israel. But then, verse 20 says, you did not obey the Lord. Saul, this powerful, mighty man, had once seen himself as lowly in his own eyes, but eventually he thought he was tall and handsome, something that would be worthy of making a sculpture about. And he lost everything. Whenever David comes on the scene, uh, God sends Samuel, the prophet, to find the new king in the family of Jesse, 
just a regular old guy, nothing special said about him in 1 Samuel 16. And uh, Samuel tells Jesse, hey, one of your sons is going to be the king. God told me so, so bring out your sons. So Jesse brings him. The first one pops up, Eliab. And Samuel sees him, and he thinks in his heart, the text tells us about 1 Samuel 16, oh, this is definitely the one. This is the one God picked. And God says, uh-uh. Just because he's tall and handsome like the last king doesn't mean that's what I'm actually looking for. I'm not looking on outward appearances, but I'm looking at the heart. Samuel goes through all of Jesse's sons. Uh, and actually, it says there in, uh, in verse um, 10 that Jesse presented seven of his sons. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But none of them were the ones. Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either, any of these. Samuel said, are these all the sons you have? And I don't know if Jesse actually planned on not bringing in his youngest son or if he just forgot, just didn't even consider the possibility because he's just the runt of the bunch, the little one. There's no way he could be the king. Jesse replies in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 11, Well, there is still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. He's doing the manual labor. He's not, he doesn't belong in this king discussion, is the point. Samuel said, Send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So they go track down the youngest son of Jesse. He comes in. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome, or a ruddy appearance. Maybe a contrast to the strong, strapping, kingly-looking people. It's he's a cute kid. You know, he's got bright eyes and a ruddy cheeks. You know, cute kid, but not what you'd think is the guy who's going to run a country, who's going to fulfill the purposes of God and work out God's. I don't know about that. But 1 Samuel 16 and verse 12 ends this way. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Uh, what's the message here? Actually, this is a really key message in the book of Samuel, uh, which tells a lot of stories about a lot of different people, focusing on David's story in particular. But the theme of the book of Samuel is actually emblem, uh, summarized. David's life, I should say, is emblematic of the theme of the book of Samuel and one of the most central themes of the gospel story at large. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, if you've got a Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, this is much earlier. This is where a woman named Hannah, actually this prophet Samuel's mother, uh, had been unable to conceive a child. She was beaten down for that socially and no doubt just emotionally, internally. Um, but after God gives her a child, she prays this prayer, sings this song of celebration. It actually is an honor to God. It actually doesn't sound like a lady who's having a baby kind of song. It sounds like a, a warrior who's been victorious after having been beaten down. But listen to what she says in 1 Samuel 2 and in verse 7. It says, uh, sorry, what Hannah says, 1 Samuel 2 and verse 7. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor or he raises the lowly from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. If you skip down to the end of verse 10, he will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. This poem is not just, oh, neat, this pregnant lady, this lady who had a baby, uh, Whenever she got pregnant, she sings this song of honoring God for lifting her up. This is actually the, the theme song 
and the thematic, thematic passage of the stories in the book of Samuel. When you read throughout the book of Samuel, there's all these stories of people that were lowly, would be easily overlooked, people that aren't impressive by any kind of worldly metric, but they're the ones that are kind of the stars of the show. And actually, what we've read just now about the origins of the King David story point exactly to that. The eighth of his brothers? Come on. The last one anybody would have ever... So much so, they didn't even bring him in. They didn't even bring him in to watch the proceedings of Samuel anointing the future king of Israel, much less that he could be considered as a possible candidate. No way. He was nothing. He comes in. He's just a cute kid. He's not mighty and powerful, anything like that. And much of the story of David illustrates his lowliness, his powerlessness, his humility. And actually, that's both the condition of his life economically, socially, in terms of his age and generation. He was all that. But also the thing that made him special, the times when David was the most faithful, the times whenever God stayed at the center of God's heart, of David's heart and life, was when David humbled himself. Just like Saul, David at times would be prideful. The difference was David actually would always turn back to recognize his lowliness before God. He wouldn't persist in a sort of stubborn pride, thinking that he was somebody, thinking that he was powerful. Near the end of the book of Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 22, 2 Samuel 22, you'll notice, by the way, this is kind of a bookend. 1 Samuel 2, by the way, just a fun fact, First and 2 Samuel, as we have it, originally were just one scroll. They were one book. They've been subdivided into two, and that's fine. It doesn't change anything about the narrative, other than to note that what we're reading are not really two books, but one when we read the books of Samuel. And this book of Samuel began with a poem about God lifting up the lowly and humbling the proud. Saul being the prototype of God humbling the proud. David being the the one that models this lifting up of the lowly. And now here at the end of the book, we have a poem by David, a psalm. Actually, it's uh, you can find it in the book of Psalms. It's listed as Psalm 18. It's almost identical uh, beat for beat throughout. But listen to what 2 Samuel 22 says. Here David reflecting on what God's done for him. In verse 26 it says, 2 Samuel 22 in verse 26, With the faithful you prove yourselves faithful. With the blameless you prove yourself blameless. With the pure you prove yourself pure. But with the crooked you prove yourself shrewd. You rescue a lowly or a humble people. But your eyes are set against the proud. You humble them. Yahweh, you are my lamp. The Lord illuminates my darkness. Just like Hannah in what God did for her reflects the beginning of the book of Samuel. Hey, God lifts up the lowly. God humbles those who are mighty. David has the same reflection. David knew, and how could he not? That's how his story began. The lowliest of the low, so much so that he was completely overlooked and ignored. And God says, that's my guy. That's the one I'm going to use. That's the one I'm going to lift up out of obscurity to make into my king. So much so that, what, 1,900 years later, in the streets and plazas of Florence, Michelangelo would walk around imagining and daydreaming what he was going to sculpt. And he decides to sculpt this this male figure that is emblematic of all the values of Florence and the strength of the culture of his time and of his place and what he thought the world should look like. And what does he call it? He calls it David. That sculpture looks nothing like what David would have looked like, for sure. But what we learn is that actually there is a great strength. There is a great dignity. There is a great beauty in lowliness. We don't know that because... Michelangelo made a great sculpture and then called it the David. 
We know that because of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 speaks about Jesus in, in describing the greatness and the grandeur of Jesus. It says that he didn't count equality with God something to be held onto or gripped onto. But instead, he emptied himself, took on the form of a man. Instead of staying God, Jesus Christ, the story of the gospel is that Jesus, who was God, became a man, emptied himself of all that Godhood carried with it, became one of us. But it wasn't just that. He didn't just become a man, but he took on the form of a bondservant, a slave as a man, the lowest of the low. And then, not only that, not only did he live this lowly kind of life where people looked on him in this degrading sort of manner, but he also went to death, humbling himself to experience all the pain of death. And not just any death, but death on a cross. And for this reason, because of his lowliness, because of his humility, because of how he emptied himself entirely, Jesus Christ was highly exalted by God above every name that is named. You see, David's lowliness was really nothing compared to the lowliness of Christ. And what we have to choose, what every human being has to choose, is whether or not they're going to see the beauty of humility, the greatness of lowliness. Jesus would say to his followers, not just in talking about himself and not just speaking about people like David in the past, but Jesus would say to his followers and to anyone who would listen, if you want to be great, then become the servant. If you want to be first, then you've got to become last and least of all. Matter of fact, the way Jesus illustrated that is you've got to become like little children. Totally irrelevant in society. I mean, I know we, we cherish our children because of what they mean for the future. Uh, we value children because of their uh, relative innocence and the need to protect them and preserve their lives. But in reality, we don't think children are important. We don't think children should be running for Congress. We don't think children should be the ones writing books telling us how to uh, run our finances. They're lowly. They're easy to just kind of say, hey, you just, you're over there. Jesus says that's how you got to be. And the reason Jesus said that is not just because somebody like David exemplified this character trait, but it's because it's what Jesus himself did. And in a world that's so obsessed with power, political power, financial power, social power, figure out how can I get on top? How can I get my way? How can I make my voice heard? How can I be more powerful, more strong, more beautiful, more of whatever the world says is important? Jesus says, stop that. Learn the beauty of lowliness. Learn to fall down on your knees before God, not to try to elevate yourself up above to his level. You fall down before God and humble yourself before him. That's real power. That's real strength. And that's why Michelangelo took out his tools and carved up a piece of rock and made it into something beautiful and magnificent that now hundreds of years later people go and look at in awe because there was a man named David, who was nothing, who was the lowest of the low, who let God make him into something that really mattered. Do you see the beauty of lowliness? Do you see the beauty of humility? Are you willing to follow the path of Jesus, the path that he perfected that King David also walked, the path of humility before God and your fellow man? The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.